0: My guy CK Courtney Kirkland. What up, boss?
1: What's going on? What's going on, Sean? Good to talk to you. How you doing?
0: I'm well. How are you doing?
1: Oh uh, man, I'm doing wonderful, man. Enjoying the sunny weather, trying to get a little bit of golf in and trying to
0: do my best to uh, you know, stay six to ten feet away from deep Hold on, bro. You said a little bit of golf. Now we spoke offline. I think you are getting a, more than a little bit of golf in, man. So do this time of course to me. Talk to me about golf, man. How much time you been getting out?
1: Well, I mean, you know, when I say a little bit of time, <laughs> I don't spend the, the the typical, you know, seven, to eight hours at the course. I only go and spend about four hours. So <laughs> um, so that's why I say it's just a little bit of time. I don't I, I, don't, and I don't, go and spend seven, eight hours like I, like
0: I used to. Fair enough. So, yeah. Since we're on golf, I enjoy the game. You really enjoy the game. You love the game. Looking for the opportunity where we get a chance to play. When you think of some of your favorite courses or least favorite cities you played in when it comes to golf, what comes to mind?
1: Um, you know, I, I love, um, love playing down in, um, in Florida. Um, they have a, a bunch of great courses um, down in, in the Orlando area. Um, I love being in the Hilton Head um, area. They have some wonderful courses there. Myrtle Beach is always great. Um, and then I like going out west, too, out into the uh, Arizona uh, area, so... Um, just a lot of you know my, my balls they, they fly very very far when I get out to that dry heat so you know, <laughs> I, I, can, I can I can crush it I can crush it out there you get me out there in Vegas and, and Phoenix and I can crush it so uh, I like some of those areas as well so I um I, you know I, I there's a there's a hitter as mix, mix, uh, a mix for me uh, um, I like the very green areas so you get a lot of that in the east Coast Um but I do like to be able to smash it a lot when I go out west in some of the drier areas, drier climates.
0: Do you have a favorite club? <clears throat>
1: um, no, no, I, no, there's no there's no favorite for me. Uh, I mean, there are obviously ones that I don't like, um, but there's, I, I don't have a favorite. I just like to be out in, in nature. Um, I like the challenges that golf brings me. Um, you know, when I look and I, I set it up and I see you know what's to come I see the uh, I see the water I see the sand traps I see where the trees are you know where the dog legs are and it gives me opportunity to navigate what my next options are and that's kind of how I like to live my life too, mm. just to understand where the obstacles are and once I know where the obstacles are I have to navigate my, my way around those obstacles and then when I do um, experience some of those obstacles and, and, and get myself engaged in them, then I can't cry over the situation. have to find ways to get myself out of those situations uh, as well. So uh, I look at golf as, as life, you know, as a testament to, to life. So there's always going to be some challenges. You can sit there and cry about it or you can, you know, get up and then work your way out of it. So that's the way that I try to approach it.
0: I appreciate that approach and that thought process and that metaphor for life. And I actually, I'm gonna have to use a piece of that because maybe when I share that with my wife, she'll allow me to go out more often. Yeah, <laughs> I get a couple more rounds, and babe, this gonna idea. help me better out with life, babe. Eh? <laughs> <laughs> I think
1: it's a great idea, man. If you need me to reach you on with that, you know I can go ahead and you know put that word in for
0: you. Appreciate you, bro. Appreciate you, man. Okay. So if I want to get more into your your, your background, um, where you from, growing up. But before we get into that, we have start off a session called warm up or stretch as an athlete you know the importance of warming up and stretching so I got a question for you to warm up with Okay. one of your favorite movies of all time something that you do not get tired of watching ah uh,
1: favorite movies of all time well, at least one I, of them <laughs> I, I, let, let me t- I'm going to put it to you like this I, I played golf yesterday and um, I played with a young man so I'm, I'm 45 years old so I, I tell my age there I played with a young man yesterday who uh 29 years old. So you can tell where the where the age disparity, a uh, right. discrepancy is, okay? So <laughs> yesterday he, he hit a ball and you know he, he messed up when he when he hit the shot. And um and so I was I said, oh man, you know I should I should you know tell somebody you know that you that you messed up. He says, oh man, you know, don't don't tell nobody, don't tell nobody. I said, I said okay, okay, I'm not gonna tell anybody. Then all of a sudden I said La, 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 la. Hey, Chris over here hit a bad shot. He said, hey, hey, don't say that. I said, well, I ain't gonna tell nobody else. And he started cracking up. And he said, that's a classic. Now, mind you, I didn't say the name of the movie. (laughs) I didn't say who was in it. I didn't say anything like that. And so the point of it is, is that I can go basically verbatim through the whole movie of friday and tell you every single line <laughs> in that movie and that was a classic case of of uh yeah, of ezell uh seeing smokey, <laughs> <Boy. Right.
0: laughs> smokey! <Boy. laughs> friday that's a great one yeah, that's a great so one Friday,
1: yeah friday is my is my all-time favorite you know i mean you, you name it you know i got it um so yeah that, that is my favorite my favorite movie
0: yeah, that's a great one. I really think about the, in uh, that line when the, the young lady said she looked like Janet Jackson. And then uh, when she came over, <laughs> she looked over. like Freddie yeah, Jackson. Yeah, Freddie Jackson. That really put, I'm trying to think with well, Chris Tucker, was he on Def Comedy Jam before that or after? Because I feel like that really took him to a new heights. Yeah, so
1: what I understand is that Ice Cube actually. Uh, noticed Chris Tucker when he was on Def Jam. Okay, he was on Def uh, Jam Def first. Jam. Okay, yeah, yeah. So I think that Ice keep identified him there, uh, and then I think that he brought him out to LA audition uh, for the apartment thing. And uh, but yeah, he he hit it nails. You know, he, <sighs> out the he park. Hit the, the, yeah, he hit it. He hit Smokey. I mean, and I, and I don't know if they've been able to. You know, they had the, the all the other Friday versions, but um, nothing could could top. You know the the first uh, the first uh, Friday. That first one was uh, classic. So, yeah, it was it was classic. And so what was interesting to me is that again, I talk about my age when I saw the movie, and I, now I'm talking to a 29 year old, you know who, you know, and he know he knows it just like that. Right. You know i've i've got a I've got a nephew who's 25, and he knows the movie just like that. So um, it is you know it is definitely a classic. And, uh, you know, I, I love it. I, I can watch it. I can watch it all day, every day. And <laughs> when, I, when I was in college, that's what I did. I watched it all day. All day, day. every
0: day. That's how you it know it, the front good. front the, front yes. the back. The um, another one, warm up for you. You can have dinner oh. with anyone, any famous person, dead or alive. Who you having dinner with and why?
1: Oh, you know, I, I don't know if I could just have dinner with just one person. I'm
0: going to give you, I'm going to give you, I'm going to give you, I'll give you three then, like uh, like three. playing golf, like foursome. Go ahead.
1: Okay. All right. Um, you know, I, I would love to. Uh, I'd love to sit down and talk with uh, Dr. Martin Luther King. Mm. Um, I would love to just sit down and, and just pick his brain uh, regarding leadership mm. and and how he's able to lead a movement, lead a charge, and how he's able to stand in front of people. So many people, and deliver a message, and have everyone just just buy into his message. And so, his his ability to lead people, I think, was fascinating. And I would just love to just sit down, pick his brain, and just understand how he how he went about delivering his message in in, in the tone. Like it, it's not just saying the words, but in the met, the manner in which he spoke it. Like if you if you listen to him. It, 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 he's not just saying words there's a tone behind what he says there's a there's a method behind it mm-hmm. and um and he and listening to it i just buy into it right. i just buy into it you know off the top and so i would love to just hit he pick his brain to understand you know how you go about delivering your messages your message for inspiration and just and leading people to um to the what he what he claimed to promised land so that's good. It's um, one so, person,
0: and so even thinking about, I'm with you there as far as when he speaks. It's almost it's like very intentional. There's no words are wasted. He has purpose for everything that he says. So MLK, that's a strong yeah. start. So who you got? You got two more?
1: Yeah, yeah. Um, I think the next person would be um, uh, former President Barack Obama. Yeah, um, I would like to talk with him about um, about hope and change. Mm. Um, and the, the courage to stand out there alone, creating change. Um, because in order for you to get people to follow you, you have to start, you have to start alone. You have right. to start by yourself. And, you know, and, and you know, I, I look at change. And so I, I think of this, the, the idea of a bunch of people standing around and everybody, everybody's doing what is considered normal. Everybody's standing around, everybody's talking. Just just imagine you have 50 people. They're all standing around. They're talking. Everything is calm. Nothing is going on. Okay. So if you take one person out of those 50 people and you have that person stand away and then just start dancing. No music. They just start dancing. Some sort of a weird dance, but they just start dancing. The other 49 people would look at that person like, this person is crazy. What's wrong with this person? Why are you just dancing out of the blue when there's no music? Why are you dancing out of the blue when no one else is dancing? Why are you just doing this? This it seems a, a little bit strange. And But what happens is that when you get a second person to follow, that first person, to start dancing, then everyone looks and says, okay, well... That seems a little odd that there's only a few people that are dancing but you know maybe it's not so bad and then you get a third person and All a right. fourth person what happens is that now you're starting starting to create change because what was normal at the time was everyone standing around talking now what's starting to become as more people come on and come come a, um come a part of what's what's happening what happens is that you're now creating a movement. And so now you may have 49 people that are dancing, one person who's standing around. Well, that one person then is the person that is the odd man out. Right. And now they are the ones who look strange for not dancing with everyone else. And so Barack Obama, to me, uh, I would love to just pick his brain as it relates to creating change because I'm all about I'm all about things being status quo but when things are status quo and they're not right I believe in change and sometimes when it comes to change you have to stand out there on your own for the, the greater good and then hopefully you get the people to follow you as long as you're standing on the right kind of platform so he would be my my second pick to, uh, to sit down and have, um, to have dinner with
0: that's really good. Cause, so for me, when I start to think about leadership, I tie it in with, with vision and the importance that for leaders to have vision and be able to share that vision and wholeheartedly believe in it no matter the cost. And so some of those great leaders, those two men you just named, they had the vision, the leadership, no matter the cost. Unfortunately, you know Martin Luther King lost his life uh, because, of, because of it. And, and you know we know some of the things that President Obama have gone through and it's it's interesting you know the scenario you gave with the one person dancing and so that individual went out there and started dancing while the other 49 were not no matter no matter the cost no matter if they were laughing at that person or they were going to laugh at or they were getting teased what have you then now because they stood out and 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 no matter the cost that continued they knew their vision they knew what they wanted to create now now you got 48 more over there (laughs) dancing right along with them so uh no matter the cost you got one more boss one more Oh wait! Hold on! Hold on! Hold on! Hold on! Hold on! I would bet that instead of having dinner with President Obama, you'll probably you'll probably play a round of golf with him. You'll rather play a round of golf because <laughs> <laughs> you know he's an avid golfer. No, but see, you know
1: what though? No, I, I wouldn't. I you would play golf with him. No. Nope. Why? Because I because I don't talk when I play
0: golf. Okay, fair enough.
1: I don't talk. I don't talk. You, you can't get an no
0: obsession for President Obama.
1: No. No. Because I'm, I'd be, because I'd be trying to beat him. And so, you know, I'm, I'm very, I'm very competitive. So you know, we can, we can be at the driving range, and we can sit there and talk. <laughs> we can be on the buddy green, and we right. can sit there and talk. But once we tee off, then you know, you know, we're we just not, we're not conversing like that. So uh, fair you know, enough. I wouldn't, I would be picking his brain then. I'd be trying to beat him Fair back enough. Could. All right,
0: so, so, so he's at your dinner <laughs> table. Then you have one more person to join you all.
1: Uh, so, uh, so one more person would be, um, one more person would be my dad, my mm-hmm. Kirkman. Um uh, my dad passed away, um, 2014. Um, but the one thing about my dad, he embodied true, true leadership. Mm-hmm. Um, he was a basketball coach in, uh, in Flint, Michigan. Um, and he, he had, um, he had some very, very prominent basketball players that played for him um, over the years. I mean, he had uh, the likes of Trent Tucker and Glenn Rice and Jeff Grayer and Andre Rising and Fernando Smith, um, you know, Morris Peterson. So, I mean, I could go down a list that there were so many um, prominent uh, basketball players that um, that have now played in the NBA uh, and they came through my dad's system. Um, but the one thing that I always saw in my dad was, um, his work ethic. Um, this man really, really, he, he didn't talk about, um, what needed to be done. He just made it happen. And so he would gather a group of young men, you know, you know, ranging from the age of, uh, 14 to 17, um, who were down in a up that didn't have a, a family structure. Um, didn't have men in their lives and he would um lift them up and and help them become men um great men in this society and um but i would just watch him um when he would go and i, and I was a kid and i watched him and i'd watch him as he would create plays um that would work for his teams and how he would discipline some of his players and um how he would um fight against all odds to to beat um, rivalry teams that were um, were expected to be the better team. So, I mean, he would, he took teams that were um, obviously at the very bottom, and he would turn the program around. And he miraculously he would go and he would beat the, the prominent teams in the state of Michigan. And uh, and he's you know he's held had uh, many records um, uh, in the state of Michigan. Uh, one time, uh, one of the all-time winningest coaches uh, in the state of Michigan, and um, I mean, you know, just to be able to have another conversation with him yeah. would be would be one of the best things that I could uh, that I could have, just because I, I learned so much from him. But it wasn't just from words; like I, I learned a lot from him, the things that he he would say to me. But I learned so much from watching him as well, mm, and just important. watching his actions, because I do believe that there are power in words. But action to me, they just they just speak way louder than the words. So um, yeah, he would be the he'd be the other person that I'd I'd love to have at the dinner table, and I'd be able to tell him that I'm because of me he's having dinner with Dr. Martin Luther King and Barack Obama.
0: Yeah, that's a that's a beautiful picture you just painted. That's a strong table. And so since you mentioned Flint. Talk to us about where you're from, your family. You mentioned your dad growing up. Some of the sports you played high school. I'll throw it back to you. Yeah, yeah. I, I grew up in Flint, Michigan, um, and I,
1: it was the um, you know when I was growing up, it was a very, very prominent city. The city was thriving, doing very well. We had the auto industry um, that was doing well.
0: Now, how um, how how far is Flint from Detroit?
1: Sixty miles. Okay, sixty miles. Away. Mm-hmm. Uh, okay um so you know our auto industry was doing very well <laughs> healthcare industry was doing well um education system was doing very well we were the when i was when i was you know, a lot younger we were the third largest city um in the state um and then our sports programs were were off the chain so um you know i, I really enjoyed being uh being uh, being from flint and really learning um you know, my, my basis from the city um and so it, it was, uh, but there were challenges, though. There were challenges because Flint was a rough, it was a rough city. So the city itself as a whole, we were all collective, collectively engaged because it, was, because it was Flint. And then there was Detroit, and then there was everywhere, everywhere else. You know, you always heard about Detroit. You'd hear about Lansing, but there was everywhere else. And so Flint became, you know, that city that just kind of came onto the map that people weren't paying that much attention to. And, um, and so, you know, I'm proud to, to call Flint home and, uh, and to be from there. So, um, but yeah, but growing up, I mean, it was, it was tough. You know, I, we, we had, uh, you know, the high school that I went to uh, Northwestern, we had some, um, some bitter bitter rivals, um, you know, with our uh, crosstown uh, teams um, in, in many sports, you know, basketball was, was, was the big deal. Um, for us, but you know, we had pretty decent football teams. Um, you know, our bands were pretty good. Um, so, but uh, but yeah, but but Flint was you know Flint was something else though. I I, I enjoyed it, and uh, I'm proud to be from Flint. And uh, and what's interesting is that I can talk to I can run a pass anybody right now that's from Flint, and uh, and off the off the top, if you mention my dad's name, they'll say, oh yeah, I, I know Coach. Curry. Wow. Uh, and so that's that's what he. Ended up representing when he represented um, the city of Flint, and so. Uh, but I'm proud to be from
0: there, though. And so, when I first became aware of Flint, initially it was my roommate in college. He's he's from originally from Flint, and then, oh. and then it became a bigger deal when Michigan State won the national championship with the, the Flintstones. And so, yep. so that's when you know, like for me, like Flint really be like, oh wow, Flint. Flint,
1: mm-hmm. Flintstones, yeah. and it, and what's interesting is that when we talk about the, the uh, when we talk about uh, Mateen Mateen Cleaves and Morris Peterson and Charlie Bell um, Antonio Smith, we talk about those guys when they talk about the Flintstones. That's the second wave; those are the babies. Those, okay. those are the babies. Okay. And so yeah, so and that's why I can I can go back. Right? So those guys they they grew up with me a couple of years younger than me, and so. When I was a young, young guy, I mean, I'm talking about, you know, maybe seven years old, people were talking about Flintstones back then. They were talking about the Flintstones back then. But they were talking about it because when we had uh, Barry Stevens that would uh, go to Iowa State and break all the records, uh, all the basketball records at Iowa State, he was then followed by Jeff Greer, who was also from Flint. Who then went and broke all of his records. Wow! So you start hearing about the Flintstones already because all of these these people that came from Flint, they were now changing changing the way that things were done in in other cities and other states across the country. And so that's when that wave of Flint the Flintstones were were known way well before we got into the next generation, which were which I call the babies, right. Next generation was when all these guys they ended up playing together. So Antonio, Antonio was the first one that went to um went, went over there, and then and then uh, you know, the rest of the guys went as well. And so like Mateen was, Mateen and and his brother, uh, his brother and I were really close. Okay, we were in elementary school. Mateen was the, the really really he was the baby boy. So. He was always the one, you know, behind, left behind. We would always tell him, come on, hurry up before you miss the bus. You know, so he was always the, the, the little type. And so I can remember, you know, I can remember him in those days. Morris, Morris um, his dad and my mom worked at the same elementary school. And so his dad was, um, he was a, uh, one of the uh, PE teachers. Uh, and he was a community school director at the, at the school. My mom was a teacher at the school. And so whenever I would go over to to her school, then, you know, uh, Little Morris was was there. So we played together. You know, again, he was a few years younger than me, but, you know, we always played together. We we were always in the gym. I was closer with his sister, closer in age with his sister. You know, uh, Mm -hmm. Antonio, um, when we were, uh, I want to say, we were in, uh, I think, seventh or eighth grade. Uh, and we played in, in a lot of basketball camps together. And so so what's so interesting is at the time when we were like seventh or eighth grade, you know, he and I were about the same about the same height. Okay. <laughs> <laughs> so we were about the same height. So, you know, when we played together, we were on the same teams. We were just dominating everyone, everyone, um, you know. He he ended up growing up to like you know six eight, right? <laughs> so you know he he had his growth spurt, but we came up together. We were around the, around the same age, and so um, and then Charlie, Charlie, Charlie's dad was a really really good basketball player, and um, and his dad had um, he had a team. He had a traveling team, with grown men, grown, and they played grown men basketball, but they had a traveling team, so. You imagine, you know, all of these, um, I think all of them were probably about 35, 40, 50 years old, grown grown men. And they would travel to different places playing in, in different leagues. And so what my dad would do is that he would, would, uh, he would always have the elderly Charlie Bell, because his name was Charlie Bell as well, uh, he would have his team play against my dad's, you know, uh, high school team who oh. was scrimmage against him and so my dad always thought if you if you're going to try to beat Anybody else you need to be able to beat these grown men And so that's how I knew Charlie Because Charlie was like a little kid, but I knew his dad because of the connection with my dad and Charlie's dad So that's how I knew Charlie. So I knew all of, I knew all of them They were all much younger than me, but I knew them just growing up and you know put it all surrounded about you know around basketball um, and so that was the connection that we all had. And so, you know, you know, when they got together and they all went to Michigan State, and to watch them now, you know, be connected and then go, go and thrive, and win championship, it was it was a thing of uh, a thing of beauty to to be able to watch it. You know, That's and awesome.
0: That's yeah. awesome. And so, so yeah. we're going to talk about basketball. Uh, your love for basketball. you still you're still <clears throat> within the sport. What other sports did you play growing up?
1: Um, I tried to. I tried my hand at football. My parents kind of nixed that. Um, they were really um, fearful of, of injuries, um, and so you know I, I begged and begged and begged um, to play football. Uh, I was a you know, as a kid. I was a really good football player. Um, I, I was a big fan of. Um, many people know about Barry Sanders, um, but I, before Barry Sanders, uh, there was Billy Sims. And Billy Sims was the was the running back um, for the Detroit Lions, right? And so uh, Barry Sanders was like the the next generation of Billy Sims. But I grew up, you know, just just watching Billy Sims, and so you know I learned all the Billy Sims moves. I mean, his spin moves, his juke moves. Mm-hmm. And so when I was growing up, that was my thing. I wanted to be a running back. I wanted to be the next Billy Sims. And I was I was I was actually good. Um, at it, but um, my parents were just like, "No, that's just you know, we're too we're we're too concerned about you being targeted on every single play, and we don't want you to get injured." So they pulled me back from that. So, um, so then you know, I got into track and field, and I even uh, even played uh, played tennis mm. uh, growing up. So, um, but I was always involved. I was always involved in every sport you could you could imagine, um, whether it be baseball. But, uh, you know, as a kid, I played baseball. Played football. I played um, uh, tennis. Ran ran track and field. Uh, I even I even tried badminton, um, <laughs> and uh, and I got I got pretty good at it. And then how about I even learned how to play table tennis as a kid. And then I started. I won uh, a few medals um, with that too. We used to have a thing where every summer um, the city of Flint would compete against the city of Hamilton um, in in Ontario, in Canada and um and so we would call it the the canada usa games and shortened it into the Canusa games and so every summer we would there would be a competition um in the 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 Canusa game so it would be uh canada versus um versus united states uh hamilton versus flint and we would compete and every year we would you know one year we'd be in flint the next year we'd be in in uh in hamilton and then we would go back and forth and then we would actually have a host um family so whenever uh one of the uh, athletes would come from hamilton to flint one of the uh one of the athletes of at flint would host host the uh, the athlete and then vice versa right um so yeah i played all of those and um and i got to the point where i got i got pretty good at, at all of them and, and so even like the the table tennis that was i, I didn't know that it was a thing up until I started messing around with it and, you know, I played a little bit, played a little bit. And then next thing I know, I was I was entered in one of the contests in the music games and came in second place, you know, and not even not even knowing what I was doing. I
0: How, just, about yeah, How
1: about that? How so, about that?
0: It's yeah, interesting.
1: So I, you know. Go ahead. Go ahead. I just saying, I, I had my hands in, in several, several sports. It's,
0: you know, it, um, it's interesting that you said Hamilton because I, I was there for a short time with the uh, Hamilton Ticats in the CFL. Okay. So like okay. in, in the city of Hamilton really reminds me of Pittsburgh. And so yeah, yeah, yeah. so going back to youth sports, talk to me about high school basketball for you.
1: Oh, well, high school basketball was was awesome. Um, again, we you know we had some you know great great players um, in the state of Michigan, but um, but you know I've been around, I've been around a game of basketball my whole life, obviously through, through my dad. Uh, but high school was great. Uh, it, was, it was very competitive um and the 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 competition was obviously with the the other teams that we played against but we had so much competition within our own team because we had so many quality players um so you know we had a lot of fights um you know you know guys wanting to get certain positions um and so there was a lot of infighting but you know we would always come together as a team because we were trying to beat the the rival team um
0: what position um, did you play
1: I was a point guard. Point guard, okay. All right, yeah, makes sense. Yeah, I was a point guard.
0: What, which, what number yeah. did you rock? Jersey number. 33. 33. 33. Is that his reason? Yeah.
1: No, uh, no, no, no. Um, there's a slight reason, but, it, you know, it, it doesn't mean much. There it was it was another guy who was um, he was a few years, uh, a few grades higher than me. and um, And so I remembered when he was a freshman, he wore number 14. So, mind you, he was, I think he was... Three. He was three years ahead of me, but I just I remembered him when he was a freshman. He was a really good shooter, and uh, and so when he was a freshman, I guess that would have put me at uh, sixth grade, maybe. Yeah, sixth grade. Mm-hmm. And so by the time I became a freshman, luck of the draw. I had number fourteen. So he wore number fourteen, luck of the draw. When I was a freshman, I had number fourteen. So that was just kind of luck of the draw. But he, but when he went into in his sophomore year and so sophomore junior senior, he ended up wearing number thirty three. Okay, so so now I'm kinda watching his progress as a sophomore junior senior. So I said, Well dang, you know, he did that well jumping from fourteen to thirty three. So my luck of the draw when I was a freshman I had fourteen. So I was like when I'm a sophomore, 33. I'm going to thirty <laughs> so three I wanna I wanna be able to do it like he did. So uh yeah it's that's pretty good. It's pretty good. So yeah that was uh, thirty three was my number. Um, and then, you know, so I've had, uh, you know, that was 33 is always good to me, but you know, I, I've transitioned on to another number now and I've got my own number and you know, I'm, I'm sticking with that number. My number, my number is going to stay, going to stay there until, uh, until I, I leave the court. So, now, what number is that? Right, right now. My number is 61. 61.
0: Yep, 61. Yeah, 61. There it is.
1: Yeah, 61. There it so, is. Uh, never, never been used. Never, never, no one has ever used 61. I've been the only person uh, to wear number sixty one on our staff, um, and so uh, you know, so I'm create the legacy for uh, for number sixty
0: one. Awesome, awesome. Yeah. Post high school, what was next?
1: Uh, I went off to college, so um, I got recruited by a couple of uh, a couple of schools in uh, Michigan, and uh, I got recruited by uh, Marquette in um, in Wisconsin, and um, I got recruited by schools down south. And so I uh, actually had the, uh, the notion to go to school in Milwaukee. Uh, I remember doing a visit and it was like really, really frigid up there, man. It was, you know, it was you know, below 10 up yeah, there, really snow yeah. everywhere. Right. <laughs> but, you know, but I was from Michigan. So, you know, it, it was what it was. I didn't I, I didn't really trip about it. It's just the fact that it was it was just cold, but it just became it was kind of the norm for me. But I remember doing my visit down in Louisiana at Southern University. And, uh, and after I did my visit down there, it was a wrap. That was that's where I wanted to be because it was it was nice and hot. Uh, it, it was always you know the grass was always green. Um, you know everybody seemed to be really laid back, uh, and it was a different environment. It was a different vibe. So I, I chose uh, Southern University, um, and, and and went down there. And took my um, took my talents, <laughs> but. Uh, but i but i learned so much and i'm gonna tell you right now it was it was a uh, a bit of a culture shock um just from the fact that uh they you know they they spoke a little bit differently because they had so many different um dialects and so many cultures that were that made up the the, the louisiana culture and so it was different for me um so and i, I jumped all into it and, and it was uh it was like really exciting the food was phenomenal uh, the people were, you know, so much fun to be around. And, um, and then I, 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 basically created a new life, um, down in Louisiana and I stayed down there for, for, uh, for several years, uh, went to school there, majored in computer science. Um, and then I actually, <clears throat> while there, I, I, actually had a knee injury, which, uh, which ultimately ended my, my playing career, um. And so that's what kind of transitioned me into something else, knowing that I wanted to still be involved in, uh, in basketball. And that's kind of how I found a, um, found a referee. and It was actually based upon a dare. Um, mm. but, uh, but, yeah, I got into it. I, um, I, did, I, did, I was doing an intern um, in, in Michigan, back in Flint. And um, during the summertime, I'd done an intern. And I was talking to one of my colleagues and, uh, and I talked about you know possibly going back into coaching because when every summer that I would go back to Flint I would uh, link back up with my dad and uh and I was his assistant coach that makes so, sense so you know we would, we would talk about talk about basketball talk about plays talk about scenarios so on and so forth and he was actually teaching me the craft um and so I was learning about coaching and I was really was thinking uh, thinking about going into coaching and um and so one one particular time I was with uh, one of my colleagues and and I was just just having a conversation with him, talking to him about you know potentially coaching, and he said to me, you know, why don't you try refereeing? And at the time, I think I may have been maybe uh, nineteen, twenty years old. I think I was nineteen, and um, and I said, well, yeah, you know, I'm too I'm too young to do that. And he mentioned to me that his uh, he knew of a kid who was sixteen that was refereeing soccer. And so he says, Yeah, you know, I know somebody that's doing this, he's young, you know, you should you should give it a shot. And I say, nah, you know, I don't wanna do that. I don't even I don't even like referees, you know, so I you know I don't really <laughs> want to do that. And uh and then he the the he did the one thing that, you know, you know, shame on me, because I, I always have a difficult time once people do this. But he, he went out and said, well, look, if you're scared to try, I understand. You know, <laughs> that was it. I, just, and that, was, <laughs> and that was it. He <laughs> dared me like that. And, uh, and I said, well, I'm not scared. Right. But I, I, do it, I can do it. I can do with it. So lo and behold, I went back down to Louisiana. And um, I, I had no knowledge of how to get started. Uh, I, I, had, I, I didn't know what to do, any of that. But I just started, I got down there and just started asking around. Um, asking, you know, some of the high school coaches, you know, how do I get involved in this? And just started asking around, and um, one person led me to another person, which led me to another person, and then I just kept kept the the, the ball rolling until I found the person who could get me where I needed to be, and um, and then they got me um, into a couple of classes that um, that you had to take to be a new person. You had to take a couple of tests, and um, and I never forget uh, there the very first time. The very first time I stepped onto a basketball court, and it was at a, a we we were playing in in the uh, intramural gym, and I had just finished playing. So uh, I I went out. I played with some of the guys, and I knew all the all the guys that were playing. We were just playing a, a pickup game, and um and so I just finished, and I was getting ready to leave. And right before I left, one of the guys who worked at the gym there, he was uh, he was like one of the directors of of, of the, the intramural gym. I told, told him that I wanted to referee, I wanted to learn how to do so. And he says, all right, well, here here's a whistle, go out and referee that game. And I said, no, nah, I can't referee that game, I don't know what I'm doing. He says, I don't care, just go out there and referee the game. And I said, well, I just finished playing with those guys. <laughs> <do that game." laughs> He's like, I don't care, just go out there and referee you're the game. The pump, so I, had right. no, I had no clue what I was doing, um, no idea whatsoever. Um, but he just threw me out there, gave me a whistle and just just threw me out there. And, um, you know, they were, obviously everybody was mad at me because, you know, I was, I wasn't calling travels. I wasn't calling files. I wasn't doing anything <laughs> right. Um, but I do remember somebody made a three pointer and I got so excited that he made the three pointer and I said, yeah, I think what they do is they hold their hands up or something. And I did that, but I was blowing my whistle as the guy made the three pointer, and everybody's looking at me like, "Why are you going?" Right. There, you know? <laughs> so, and then start it started from there. I started going to the classes, and they told us where to be, and where to stand, and how to rotate, and all these other things. And I just I fell into it. I fell into it. And once I once I got into it, I was into it. You know, all, you know anything re- related to to uh, basketball and refereeing. I was all in it. I was getting magazines. Um, I was watching, um, you know, games, you know, basketball games on TV where I originally was watching the players. I then was watching the referees, which I never had done before. Um, so you name it, I was doing it from, from a different perspective. So my lens was then started to change. And, uh, and as my lens started to change, I was now learning a, uh, a new skill. And, uh, and as I started learning this new skill, uh, I, I just continued to to just soak it all in. I got more and more excited, more and more dedicated, and I just continued to to push forward in the in this new craft and this new skill that I was starting to learn.
0: And so number number sixty one, the reason why you share that that number, you have a love for that number because that is actually your jersey number. You are now reffing at the highest level in the NBA. Yeah. Take us a few yep. steps before that before you got to the NBA, how did you get there?
1: Um, well, uh, I started on the high school level in, uh, in 94. And uh, that was, that was the year that I, I tried, you know, tried to, the, tried to referee. And that's when I was um, doing like the, the little kids, the bitty ball games um, and doing some of the middle school games and, and high school games. So that's when I started in 94. But like I told you, I was like, really, um, really fully engaged in, in, learning this, this skill and making myself a, a, a better student of this game. Um, and so through that year, uh, 94, 95, 96, you know, I was, I was all in. And what I, what I started learning is that refereeing, if you want to develop and grow as a referee from one level to the next, that you, you ultimately have to be recruited just like players get recruited. And so I actually went to a training camp, um, an identification training camp in Murfreesboro, Tennessee, in uh, in 2016. I'm sorry. I'm sorry. In uh, in 1996. And while at the uh, at this training camp, <clears throat> uh, someone from the uh, from the NBA was there uh, identifying a towel. And so I did the, you know, the high school stuff. I did the big ball stuff. I was trying to get myself onto the college level and, and potentially do small college ball. So that's what I was there auditioning for. I was there actually trying to get picked up by one of the, the college conferences. And, and so um, that, that's what I was looking for. But I was then being identified by someone from the NBA. And I, I didn't know that. So, you know, it just so happened that someone was there that was recruiting and so, you know, I had a little bit of talent. So, on the college level, they were now starting to give me an opportunity to work on the college level with some, uh, with some junior college games, um, and then some Division two and Division three games. And so, the, the NBA um, obviously was monitoring um, my movements, you know, kind of in the back channel. And um, and again, I you know, went back again the next uh, the next year. And um, and so the the, the gentleman who was the supervisor of officials at the time, Daryl Garrison, the late Daryl Garrison, um, he identified me and wanted to bring me into the training program. And uh, and at the time that was called the Continental Basketball Association, the CBA. Uh, And so they brought me into the CBA in in, in 1997. And so that was that was a quick quick. Uh, Movement from '94 to '97, you know, where where I'm just learning the craft to now doing semi-pro basketball, so it was a quick jump for me. But again, I was all in. I I was all into it. So, you know, and my work ethic was like really, really, you know, once I'm in it, I'm in it. And uh, and so and that's, you know, basically what I followed. And so I stayed in the CBA for uh, three years for from '97 into 2000. Um, but at the when we got into you know, during that time was the, the the creation of the WNBA. So in '97, the, the WNBA was getting started as well. And so, <clears throat> first year of the WNBA, the um, the quality wasn't quite the way that they wanted pro basketball to represent women's basketball. And so it was all it was all a, a, a moving organism. And so. But what happened is that they took they decided to take pro referees that were working on in the CBA merge them with college referees that essentially were working the WBA games merge them together to create a new staff mm-hmm. and so I ended up being part of the staff in uh, 98 99 I'm sorry in, uh, 99 and 2000 um, to referee in the WBA so that okay. was my that's how my my, uh, my career went so it was a high school. Uh, it was a bitty ball, middle school, high school, and then I moved into JUCO and in a little bit of division um, two, and then I worked my way into the CBA. I did the CBA for a few years and then got into the WNBA, did that for a couple of years um, before I ventured on into the, uh, into the pros. And I will tell you that through, throughout my whole career, I've only worked one division, one basketball team, my whole career. Who played in that game? Do you remember? Uh it was te- it was uh, Texas Southern and Auckland. Mm. January it was January the ninth. January ninth and it was nineteen ninety nine, I think it was. Okay. Okay. Yep.
0: What uh so your yep. first year in NBA was 2000. 2000. 2000. Yeah, 2000. So you said something that's interesting. So with us working with collegiate student-athletes and grade school student-athletes, you said you had talent as a referee. Like Most people understand, they know what talent looks like as a basketball player, a hockey player, or a football player, but what is talent as a referee? Can you break that down a little bit more? Sure. Uh, so
1: number one, uh, the first thing, the first portion of it is athleticism. Because most people, when they look at the basketball court, they th- they think of the the ten athletes that are on the floor. But as a referee, you have to understand that there are three other athletes that are on the floor. And so, because the referees run uh, as much as the players run, okay, the difference the difference in the two is that during timeouts, the players sit down, the referees don't. Okay, so referees are on their feet the the entire game, other than halftime. And so in order to, to display some, some level of athleticism as it relates to the game, referees need to look the part. So that's the first thing. Second thing is having a feel for the game and understanding the game. Okay? And so when, when a referee can understand that the difference between marginal contact versus illegal contact and can grasp that concept and understand where the, where the balance is, then that's a level of 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 talent, okay. Uh, and then also being able to understand how to communicate with coaches and players—that's mm-hmm. yeah, a level of talent good. that it's an un, it's an unseen talent because most people don't don't know that a referee is communicating well with a player, or most people don't know that a referee is communicating well with a coach. Um, so these are things that these are kind of intangibles. So there's a lot of other little details that stand out that most people won't see just with the naked eye, and so being around the referee community, you then can dial in and start seeing things that are a little bit more uh, poignant than the than the uh, than the average um,
0: fan of the game. That's good. That's good. And as you were speaking, I wrote down communication. I thought about that and the importance of that because that's one thing that we help our student athletes develop. Their communication, impromptu speaking, and then also the power and importance of building relationships. So I can see that really, really be important in, in your line of work. You already spoke to the communication, but also the ability to be able to build relationships as well. Mm-hmm. Absolutely, absolutely. And, and so, as a referee, what's one of your favorite moments that that you can share with us?
1: Uh, whew, I've had so many moments All over right. the years, but let me think. Uh, I think one of one of my favorite moments um and this is this is one that probably no one would would um would remember but i remember it because it was i think it was a, a catalyst to me making my way into the playoffs and so in, in 2000 it's 2005 um i remember it's a, it a game in dallas this is phoenix playing uh against dallas um and it was a pivotal game we were getting close to the end of the season and um and so people are, the teams are jockeying for what position they're going to be in the playoffs. So we're getting close to the end. And, uh, and I can remember um, we get down to the very end of the game and I believe that uh, Dallas may have been down by two points. And um, and so Dirk Nowitzki makes a drive to the basket and you know everybody's expecting that there's gonna be contact and there's gonna be a foul. And so uh, Sean Marion kind of swipes from behind and what, you know, what would seem to be, you know, Dirk Nowitzki, because Dirk Nowitzki ends up going to the floor, and, you know, everybody thinks that it's a foul on the play, um, and I'm on the play, and from where I'm standing, and I clearly, clearly, clearly see unequivocally that uh, Sean Marion got all ball when he blocked the shot, and, um, and Phoenix goes on to win the game. You know, people in Dallas were upset about the play, but when you go and you look at the replay, you, all you need to do is look at it one time, and it was a clean block. And my supervisor was at the game, that uh, that game. He was there. And so, I mean, he came in the locker room giving me high fives and hugs for, you know, for no calling the play and making a good decision on the play. And I think that that may have been uh, the play that helped me to get my way into the playoffs uh, that year. So, um, so yeah, so that one, that one kind of jumps out at me.
0: That's a great one. That's a great one. And so, so... What would you say to young student-athletes? Because a lot of them, majority of them, they want to be professional athletes, no matter the sport, baseball, basketball, hockey, or or football. Uh, But as we know, there are... Everyone's not going to be able to play, right? At the professional level. Injuries happen, happen to you, at the collegiate level. But there's still opportunity to be around the game. And so for those who may not have been exposed... To or even thought about becoming a referee, what would you say to encourage them to consider looking into becoming a, a, a referee? Well, I
1: would, I would just say find the niche. Mm. Find the niche. Find the thing that you love. And so I didn't know that I was going to love refereeing. You know, I tried something. You know, this was, this was me stepping out and doing something that was a little uncomfortable for me because I had no idea what I was doing. However, once I once I got involved in it and got someone engaged in it, I was all in it. And so I fell in love with it. And that is what catapulted me to something else, because I because I found the niche. Once I found the niche, I went all in. So I'd say find the niche. And so, you know, there's this refereeing. And, 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 and so when you talk about sports, people look at the players. Obviously, that's what everybody looks at. But there are so many other things that are that make up the game itself. And so if you think about, not only do you have the, the players, but you have the coach, you have the head coach, you have the assistant coach, you have the trainer. Um, you have the psychiatrist, you have the, uh, the chef. Yeah. Yeah, right. you have the yeah, you have the, the sports writer, you have the statistician. Um you have the PA announcer. Uh, you have so many, there's so many entities that make up the sport itself. And so what I what I would say is find the niche, find the thing that you love as it relates to that sport. If you love sports, find the thing that works for that sport. For me, it ended up being a referee. But again, it, it took me to try something. You know, it was it was all based upon a dare, but it took me some it took me that to try something. If I was going to be, you know, one of the you know one of if I was going to be the um, the the team physician, or if I was going to be um, uh, let's see a sport a sports writer, then if I love the sport that much, then I would need to develop skills for writing. I would need to develop skills for storytelling. Right. I would need to be develop skills to be so detailed so that when people read my article, they would be able to know exactly what what went on without seeing it, but not being able to comprehend and read it. so find the niche, find the thing that works within the sport that you love, and then just go after it and just tackle that that thing.
0: Great advice. Great advice. And and as we start to wrap up, so with Orange Arrow, our mission is to coach student athletes to aim for success off the field, off the track, out of the pool, wherever the playing arena may be. And sure, it's really about becoming more than an athlete. Success off the field. So why is it important to be successful outside of sports? Uh,
1: Because I do believe that it's about. I think that, uh, that sports sets you up for other things. Um, the one thing that I, what I realized, what I've come to realize, especially in this country, is that sports is what connects people. Sports connects everyone in this country. And, um, and so I think that there's a, a, a huge importance as it relates to sports. And so you can start with the sporting industry and then you can venture out to so many other things. Uh, we talked about golf uh, early on the, uh, when, we, when we started talking. You know, another sport. But what we've done is we're we're now crossing, you know, two two sports, two industries. But I can take golf connected with golf. I'm sorry. I can take I can take basketball connected with golf and uh, and then start a, a real estate deal. <laughs> you right. What I'm saying? Right. Because totally. I can take basketball, connect with someone who's, who I'm playing golf with. Who ends up being uh, a real estate agent, or 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 a developer, or something, and then tie it into something else, and so that's where the the connection comes, and so sports are I, to me in this country are is one of the you know, the best industries to cross balance everything else, and so you know if you if you notice now while everyone has been quarantined, one of the things that so many people have been complaining about while being quarantined. Is the lack of sports that are out there, right? Um, and so it's a, it's amazing how sports have played such an impact on people um, in this country, uh, and and now you know it's becoming globally as well. Um, and so you, you can look at other countries, and so uh, you look at you know how how soccer has just blossomed in so many other countries, number one number one um, sport in the world. Right. But it it balances; it finds a balance for everyone, and so. You can have people that, you know, have true anger toward each other. But you let them be fans of the same team and at least for two and a half hours, three <laughs> hours, right. they'll be in be the best players.
0: you're Right, right.
1: So that's the thing with, with sports. It just it bridges the gap for all the other things that you could you could potentially do. And you don't have to be the player. You don't have to be that that talent, but you become the talent in whatever industry that links to sports. Right. And so, if, so, for me, I'm not the, the talent as in playing, but I am the talent as in refereeing the game, as in calling the game. I am the talent. And so, the coach may not be the talent as it relates to playing the game, but he is the talent as in organizing those players. The trainer may not be the talent as in playing the game, but he is the talent for making sure that the players are physically capable of participating in the game. And so you just be the talent in whatever industry that you are in and be the best talent.
0: I love it. Be the talent, be the talent, be the best talent. Last question for you. You're a former point guard. You are a point guard. I won't get you in trouble. So we're going to go retired. If you had to have a pickup game with four other retired NBA players th- to go play someone else, you're the point guard. Who are the other four that's on your squad? Retired.
1: Oh, well, I got to start with MJ. Ooh, okay. uh, yep. I got to start with Michael Jordan, greatest player of all time. Okay. Uh, got to have him on the squad, no doubt. Um, mm. I don't think that anybody can, can do anything against Shaq in the post. Um, so I definitely would have Shaq in the post. All right. Um, you can... You put Kobe on the could put, put Kobe on the floor. I just I just pass the ball to Michael and Kobe and let them just do their work. <laughs> <laughs> hey, and Fair I and I'll just I just pick up a six. <laughs> and you know what? And I think I would, I would have uh, Dennis Rodman do do all the dirty work. Oh,
0: have interesting. Yep,
1: yeah. I like that yeah,
0: five. I like that five. Yeah. That's a strong, that's a winning five. That's yeah,
1: that's a, that's a winning five. That's a winning five. I'd let them. I, I let Dennis do all the dirty work, get get dirty and bloody and everything else because he's going after every single ball um, and he's going to disrupt everybody on the opposing team. Right. Um, I, can, I can dump the ball down to the shack and nobody can stop it. Uh, I give it to Mike and let Mike just do his thing. And then when he gets tired, I give it to Kobe and let him do his thing.
0: Yeah, you yeah. you got to make sure you do your part, right? Hey, you got to throw gotta the ball, is play is defense. Make, make sure I pass the ball and play defense. Right? And I'll take, hey, I'll, I'll even take a couple charges. I don't there mind. it is, there it is for the team. <laughs> no high and team. C.K. Courtney, my guy. Thank you for your time. I really appreciate you. All the best to you moving forward. Uh, whenever the season starts up again, uh, yeah. again, thank you for your time, my guy. I look forward. My pleasure. My pleasure. Thanks for having me here.